0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. As the, on the screen, it said a while ago, we're glad you're here. We are really glad you're here on this day. Um, I wanted to just bring attention to one thing that David mentioned earlier for those of you who possibly came in late. I realize that is so seldom that it happens that people come in late. But just in case, in your bulletin, uh, four uh, men are nominated as deacon. We are asking you in a couple of weeks to affirm that decision of the elders. John Bart, Ben Grumbach, Ben McGuire, and Jason Woodall. These four men are being uh, nominated as deacons. So... This is a sample ballot in the bulletin, and it'll show you what you'll be doing if you're a member of Grace Community Church in a couple of weeks. Well, I'm talking about something 14 14 days out. If I were to ask you what is going to happen 11 days from now, I'm going to guess some of you could, unless it's already happened. Did sunny skies open early this year by any chance? (laughs) You know, many of you have that as one of the red letter, red letter days or uh, number days on your calendar. Um, 120 flavors they boast. Now, I don't know that I've ever seen, have you ever seen 120 offered at one time? I'm not sure that I have, uh, but, but 120 flavors at the world-famous Anger ice cream shop now think about those words together world famous Anger ice cream shop. It is literally made news all over the world because of cold sweat and other uh, types of ice cream that will torture you greatly if you eat them. Do you like having all those flavors? Or would you prefer more limited options? It could be that some go in and almost go into apoplexy, you know, like, "Ah, I don't know. Isn't it interesting how different we all are? I mean, when you have a day off, do you prefer to just chill or to hit the town? I mean, would you rather read, play video games, watch a movie, go to a movie, or just watch Netflix? Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Life is not only more interesting with all of the different types of people who bring their own flavor to life's mix. But it is far better and richer because of the fact that we are different from one another. Wouldn't it be difficult if we were all exactly the same? As messed up as humanity is, we are all better For the diversity that God has written into our collective existence. I I suppose there's no place where God's wisdom is better seen than in the body of Christ when it, it is functioning as it is designed to function. The metaphor itself puts us in the right frame of mind for understanding God's plan for all different kinds of people being in one group. Each body part is uniquely crafted and has an important role in God's plan. No part in the body of Christ has the right to feel superior and no part is afforded the luxury of feeling slighted and or sorry for itself. That's probably as difficult as one is as difficult as the other, right? Some people think, oh, if all you people were just like me, we'd get something done around here. And others are thinking like, well, I guess I'm just... I I, I really don't care. The song we just sang, There Is a Fountain Filled with Blood, written by William Cooper, struggled greatly with depression and, in fact, had periods of insanity and wrote beautiful music from the insane asylum. Think about it. Many of the great leaders, both religious and secular, have struggled greatly with depression. If you struggle with depression, and I know some of you do. Had a little mirror, I would, you know, look and say, mm "Yep, sure. some." I don't go over the edge, but I get right up next to the edge. If you struggle with depression. Not only is your life richer and deeper because of the sadness. The rest of us are blessed greatly because of the sadness. We're all a part of a whole meant to bring glory to God the Father and to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is constantly working to see that God's purposes are fulfilled. When you read the Bible, do you see it as a how-to manual in which you're given instructions and now it's up to you to get the job done? Or do you see it as inspirational and meaningful for flourishing? Or do you see scripture as God's living word shaping and molding his covenant people into a holy nation, a a royal priesthood, a people for his possession? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look, if you are a believer and you struggle with depression, and by the way, I have, Allison and I have just, we have just encountered a number of people recently who have said, you know, I struggle with depression, and God wasn't there when, we, when I needed him, so I concluded that he's not there at all. Look, if you're a believer and you struggle with depression, just think of what life would be like struggling with depression apart from God. We're broken. It's all broken. So God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. There are a few things we need to notice about 1 Peter 2.9. First, God is speaking about the church in ways that he used to define his relationship with Israel. We are God's covenant people and when we read the Old Testament, as we'll be doing for several months in our study of Isaiah, much of what is said to Judah applies to us as God's covenant people. Paul, when writing to a mostly Gentile audience and talking about the things that, that, that happened under Moses, said in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, now these things happened to them as an example but they were written... For our instruction, written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. So stuff that happened in the Old Testament is very important for these New Testament days. Stuff that happened to God's covenant people, Israel, absolutely applies to God's covenant people, the church. <clears throat> There's something else we need to contemplate from 1 Peter 2.9. God does not say that you are a chosen person. A royal priest, a holy individual. No, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Does God deal with us as individuals? Absolutely He does. A lot of Jesus' parables were meant to... to, 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 impress the minds of individuals. It is striking though when you read the New Testament, especially with a with a covenant perspective when you start looking for it, it's everywhere. You will see so clearly the beauty of God's design of unity in the body of Christ even with all its diversity. Regardless of how you grew up, if you are a part of this church, you belong to a family. It's our job to love you and it's your job to love us and together we are blessed we are blessed to encourage one another to live as the holy people of God when we lose sight of who we are in Christ and we are called by the Lord and we call one another to repentance and to renewed trust this morning we enter the deep waters of the book of Isaiah. And we will discover just how deep the Father's love is for His covenant people. As we read this Old Testament book of Isaiah, we will see a great deal of rebuke, and we will see prophecies that tell of judgment and captivity for God's covenant people. We will be reminded that God's holiness and His just wrath are not to be taken Lightly. Isn't that what Jim reminded us from scripture? That we are not eating unworthily because we belong to Jesus. And yet he says to believers, don't eat unworthily. God's righteous wrath is not something to play around with. We don't hear it very much, but it's all over. Not all over, but it's it's enough in the New Testament that God judges his children by making them sick. And by killing them. If they go too far, if they are blasphemous, if whatever. Now, don't live in that fear. You should not live in that fear, but you should know that it's no matter to, to play around with. That, that God's holiness and His wrath are serious. And we'll be reminded of that in the book of Isaiah. Uh, we will... See ourselves with our tendency to trust what man can do for us instead of trusting God's sovereign design for our lives. We'll be confronted with our pride and our rebellion and our lustful, sinful ways. We will be confronted with our willingness to play at our relationship with God by making sure that we do what Christians do. You know, come to church, even if we're a little bit late. Come to church and then give to the work of the ministry. Uh, Being baptized and partaking of the Lord's Supper at the same time we're living these sinful lives and just indulging wicked hearts that are far from God. Okay, so Isaiah is not going to speak about baptism and the Lord's Supper but in first Corinthians one where Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he's he starts off saying do you know that Israel was baptized into Moses and they ate the spiritual food and then he goes on to say but soon as Moses went up on the mountain they sat down to eat and they rose up to play he's essentially saying don't be messing around P- pretending to be a Christian and then living any way that you want to through the week. Your life during the week needs to match at least... It ought to show some desire to live as you are in this place on Sunday morning. So, in Isaiah, we will be confronted with our sin. But we will also encounter Jesus, We will read about God's servant uh, uh, who did for us what we were desperately in need of and incapable of, uh, of, of affecting ourselves. We'll read about the servant's substitutionary death described in detail, some detail, some 700 years before Jesus was born. We have already encountered uh, God's servant through the beautiful... Uh, reading of Kerrigan and Sarah Painter a little while ago uh, as they read Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. By the way, I had asked them to read that from the New Living Translation. The ESV was on there, and I hope you were catching some of the differences uh, in those (coughs) translations. There is rebuke and redemption and hope and the promise of the new heavens and the new earth, all in the book of Isaiah. This morning is an introduction to, to Isaiah, far more than it is any exposition of one text. I'm going to make a few comments about Isaiah one, 1 and then 30.15. We'll stand after that to read Isaiah 30.15 through 22, again as an introduction. And we'll begin in just a moment with Isaiah 1, one. but before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, Sometimes we, when we know the gospel, we we look at these Old Testament books and we just just don't know exactly what to do with them. Um, We see a people who lived under law and yet who were saved by believing the promises of God just the same way we are. We understand those promises in a much fuller way knowing that Jesus uh, fulfilled many of the prophecies right in this book of Isaiah. Over and over we're going to see that. So Lord, as we come to Isaiah, we pray that you would open our hearts. First of all, um, to receive the truth that is in the text that we will be reading for some time and, and, and um, engaging for some time. We pray that you will allow... That We will allow the word to examine our hearts. We pray that as we see Jesus, as we see the gospel, truth, it is written in Isaiah. May our hearts be encouraged and caused to believe. Give us faith and eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, Amen. Isaiah one one, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, when he unders- which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So, right off the bat, we know who's writing the book, Isaiah. Uh, The son of Amos. We know that his ministry took place during the reign of these four kings of Judah. Three of whom were relatively godly. Relatively being the operative word. They had their problems. We all have our problems. But these guys were relatively godly. But then there was Ahaz. A wicked, wicked king who caused his sons to go through the fire. He threw it. If it was the worship of Molech uh, that, that Ahaz was participating in, they would make this stone uh, furnace and they would make it like a big mouth. Uh, and, and this furnace, the opening to the furnace would be a big mouth and there would be this huge fire. And, and, and then there would have these stone arms that would come out. It would be chiseled in such a way. And, and the people, especially the kings, who would would lead nations that worship Moloch would take their children and slam them down on those. And just run them into the furnace. It was awful. Awful. And I've tried to think, look, I, I thought about this. I, can, I cannot. I have to make this connection. Is abortion any different? Look, I know. I know some of you may have had abortions and and and. And every one of us is sinful and we struggle uh, to be made right with God, which we can never do apart from ourselves. The best person in here is no better than you if you've had an abortion. But I'm telling you, as a nation, we're accepting the same kind of thing. We have to, we have to understand how sinful we are as a nation. Not just as individuals, but as a nation. So Ahaz was this wicked king. And we're going to see him some and some of his struggle. His son Hezekiah was a godly king who restored temple worship. The people, though, continued their idolatrous ways. Although Isaiah 1-1 does not... Mentioned King uh, Manasseh. Jewish tradition has that Manasseh had Isaiah put to death. In fact, in Hebrews 11, it talks about some were sown asunder, sown in two. Tradition has Isaiah was in a log hiding from Manasseh, and he said, or whoever was leading the charge at the time said, put Isaiah to death this way. That's tradition. It's not certain fact, but a lot of people Except that is most likely true. Uh, much more about Isaiah the prophet in the coming weeks. We'll be introducing this book over a period of time. But for now, look at Isaiah 30.15. If you've forced me to say, what's a theme verse for the book of Isaiah this would be in? For thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. Notice that God refers to himself as the Holy One of Israel. This self-designation, Uh, occurs 25 times in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Some of you are aware of the controversy as to whether Isaiah was written by one author or maybe two or three or even more, some of his followers uh, in later years. Um, We're going to... When we get to Isaiah 40, because the break is generally from 1 to 39 and then 40 to 66. Some people break 40 to 66 up later on. When we get to chapter 40, we'll examine this in detail. But just let me tell you up front that our position at grace is that Isaiah was written by one person uh, one of the arguments for a single author is this phrase the Holy One of Israel <clears throat> this God who called himself the Holy One of Israel is only seen or we see this phrase only six times outside of the book of Isaiah but 25 times in the book of Isaiah uh, 12 times in the first 39 chapters, and then uh, 11 times, that's only 23 total. So some, one of my figures is wrong. Uh, 11 times in Isaiah 40. You would think three years in Algebra 1 would have prepared me for a, to, to be better than this. But apparently not. I think I'm going school to school, sue the school system at this. That was bad. Um, you get the point. An equal number of times. And and of course, some would say, well, no, that doesn't prove anything. And we'll talk about that more. But just know this is our, our position. There are multiple connections between the two portions of Isaiah. We'll get to them later. But when you see this term, the Holy One of Israel. Think of the majesty of the one who revealed himself to God's covenant people through the prophet Isaiah. Look at God's compassionate heart for his people in this verse. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Allison quotes this verse a lot. I love to hear her quote this verse. It just causes me to, to, to slow down and just rest in the Lord. Some translations say, In repentance and rest, you shall be saved. That's the idea. Some people call Isaiah the fifth gospel. Uh, indeed, the gospel story is all the way through Isaiah, even though you will likely sense, if you just read it from start to finish, you just sit down and read Isaiah all the way through, um, a prominent tone and theme of judgment. Here, though, is the gospel. In returning and rest, you shall be Saved. Repent of your sin and trust God's promises, which we know in these New Testament days, are centered in Jesus. But even at the end of this beautiful promise, these beautiful words in Isaiah 30, 15, you see, God say also, but you were unwilling. God never stops pursuing us, though, through the gospel. Because we are utterly incapable of keeping the law and pleasing the Lord, Jesus took God's wrath upon himself so that we might live and be brought into the covenant family of God through repentance and faith. It's important to remember, though, Isaiah thirty fifteen was written to God's covenant people. He's writing this to his church today. And in addition to this being wonderful news for unbelievers, it is the message the church needs to hear. So we'll look at Isaiah 30, 15 in its fuller context when we get um, to Isaiah 30. But for now, we're just going to read Isaiah 30, 15 to 22. And even though we're, we're halfway through, I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, as is our custom for the reading of Scripture. And look, standing to read the Scripture could easily become legalistic. Here's why we do it most Sundays, not every Sunday. Most Sundays we do this, though, out of respect For the Holy One of Israel. For the God of this book. We stand out of respect for Him. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. And you said, no, we will flee upon horses. In other words... Again, we'll talk about it when we get there. But a lot of this is about Judah looking for help to fight their enemies. And God saying, I'll take care of you. Just trust me. We will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away. And we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee. Two, you are left like a flagstaff On on the top of a mountain. Like a signal on a hill. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Judgment, mercy, judgment, grace. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. justice. Blessed are those who wait for Him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, as soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher." And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then after you hear the word of God, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold plated metal images. John Piper has a friend who says, We worshiped our way into sin, now we must worship our way out of sin. You see the connection. When you hear the word and you worship the Lord God, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you and be seated. Well, to whet your appetite for our time in Isaiah, I'm going to read several verses, many of which will be familiar to you, although you may not have known that they were found in Isaiah. I I don't plan to offer a great deal of comment on uh, these verses, but such plans have gone awry in the past. We'll see how uh, it goes this morning. We'll begin with Isaiah 1.18, which we'll examine more carefully next week. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That's good news, isn't it? Isaiah 6, 1 and 2. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. By the way, John 12 tells us that this was Jesus that Isaiah was seeing. Uh, Then Isaiah 6, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel, or God with us. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. It means Jesus will be in charge of ruling the world. And this will come to pass one day. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 11, 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Scott Chambly, who blesses us uh, with these great designs for our design, uh, our slides, I mean, had uh, Isaiah 11:1 in mind when he designed this one. David Calvert and Scott Chambly both. Occasionally, I will give a, a, a teeny bit of direction, but more often than not, they look into the scripture, and David uh, picks the songs, and, and Scott has a great deal of thought in the slides that he prepares. You would just, just talk to him sometimes, say, "Tell me what all was going through your mind when you prepared this slide for us." Uh, the, the, the branch, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots, uh, is, of course, Jesus. Well, uh, Isaiah 11:6. 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Democrats, Republicans will love each other. No, it's not that. It's not, <laughs> but obviously this day is not here yet, is it? And the calf and the lion and the fatted calf, calf together and a little child shall lead them Isaiah 14 12 how are you fallen from heaven O day star son of dawn how are you cut down to the ground you who laid the nation's low? now when you were when I said I'm gonna read some of the familiar verses in Isaiah this one may not have popped to first to your mind oh yeah I know Isaiah 14 12 I, I bet he reads that one this The reason I'm reading this, though, is that Isaiah is specifically talking about the king of Babylon in this section of Isaiah 14. And a lot of scholars think that he's also talking about Satan. He was cast down from heaven, cast down to the ground. He makes the nations low. We'll examine that more uh, carefully when we get there. Uh, So, Isaiah 40. I'm going to jump all the way over to Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You familiar with this verse? Uh, Where uh, the New Testament tells us that it refers to, uh, it was the prophecy for the ministry of John the Baptist. Here's one you'll recognize, Isaiah 40, 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. By the way, wait for the Lord, you're going to see that phrase a lot in Isaiah. You know what he's essentially saying? Those who trust the Lord. Patience is trust. Waiting is talking about trusting It's not so much, if I'll wait for God, then it'll all come true exactly like I want it to, like I'm praying for. It's trust God no matter what. And He will strengthen you. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that is from the English stand. If you saw that. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a great verse, isn't it? Isaiah 42.1 Behold my servant... Whom I uphold. My chosen. In whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Who's the servant? Jesus. He will bring forth justice. To the nations. In Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord. He who created you. O Jacob. He who formed you O Israel. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Now, remember, these promises are written to a people. Not to an individual. In verse 3, that's the one that talks about beauty for ashes. If you've got the right translation, they don't all say it just like that. But the Lord Takes the, the horrible things of our lives and makes them new again. We have already heard from Isaiah 52 and 53 in detail this morning. Uh, now, Isaiah 55:1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Man, Isaiah 55 is just a great chapter in Scripture. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's always true. God always accomplishes his purposes. The purpose of his word. When you share scripture with someone else and it makes a mad as fire. It's accomplishing its purposes. God's word never returns void. Some of your translations say. Isaiah 64, 6. Here's a cheery verse. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Don't look, our only hope, our only hope for being in the place that God wants us to be is to acknowledge who we are before the Lord. This is not designed to just shame us like so many people do today. They just shame one another online. They don't do it face-to-face usually, unless there's a crowd around. Then you might do it, especially if the crowd is mostly on your side. You might shame. We're cowards. We are cowards, really, in the ways that we function today. This is not meant to shame us. But to bring us to the place of understanding who we are apart from Jesus. Who we are apart from God's intervention in our lives. And then there's the good news. We're going to conclude our look at Isaiah verses with the passage that Jesus read at the synagogue in Nazareth. Where he identified himself as, to, as the one to whom the text pointed. And of course they wanted to, uh, to kill him. They tried to throw him over the, the cliff. But he passed away from them. In Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. That is to bring the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who were bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You remember how they responded, Jesus read that and then he just looked up and he said, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your presence. And they went ballistic because they were like, who are you? Who do you think you are? You're claiming to be God. You're claiming to be one who is not only especially sent from God, but who is God himself. And remember when John the Baptist just think about John the Baptist claimed came preparing the way for the Lord. And he said, I'm not worthy to untie his shoelaces or to tie his shoelaces. I should not baptize you. You should baptize me on and on. He made it very clear. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth. But John. When he looked at Isaiah, he understood, he he, he listened, to, or he looked at some of those verses that talked about the day that Jesus would completely rule the earth. He would rule over all the nations and justice would come to everyone. And then all of a sudden, John gets thrown in prison. And Jesus didn't do anything about it. And John came... Or sent men to Jesus and say, are you really the one? I thought you were the one, but something's not adding up here. And Jesus said, tell him what you've seen. I've sent, I've given the gospel to the poor. I've healed the people, the eyes of the blind. He pointed back to Isaiah and said, let him know. I am indeed the one for whom you look. Look, that is nowhere near the number of familiar verses I could have included. But it'll give you a sense of how powerful this study in the book of Isaiah will be. Isaiah will bring us back time and time again to the gospel as we understand it now in view of God's full revelation in Jesus and in his word, all of his word, including the New Testament. I want to say one word about the gospel in closing. You'll talk a lot more about this in home group uh, this week and then we'll... Revisit it next week. In, in the beginning of our time today, I talked about how we're natured so differently. Some are, 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 are one way, some are another way. Allison and I um, spent a lot of time together in our dating uh, months, I should say. It was about nine months after we met that we were married. <laughs> And we got to know each other very well, conversations that we had. We, we, we just loved spending time together. We took our honeymoon in Aruba because Aruba, along with the flight, uh, the tickets, uh, cost of the flight uh, tickets, uh, was cheaper than going to Duck, North Carolina for a honeymoon. So <laughs> we went to Aruba instead. And that's the, that is the truth. That is the honest-to-goodness truth. So... We went down there, and look, everybody knows Aruba the way Aruba was meant. We'll get there fast, and we'll take it slow, right? That's, that's what I'm looking for. I, I'm looking for some tropical fruit drink uh, out underneath a uh, uh, cabana or whatever, the, the, the little grass hut. And we got there, and Allison's idea was we'll get there fast, and, and then we'll speed up. <laughs> we're going all over this island. And we were... Looking at each other like, you know, thought I knew. And you're, look, you're discovering things about your spouse all the time, I'm sure. We are natured differently. When it comes to spiritual matters, we tend toward one of two extremes. Either we're attracted to the law because everything is black and white with the law, right? Or we're attracted to... A, 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 a much freer way of living. And oh, just don't worry about that so much. Look, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. Two extremes. Legalism antinomianism. Which, I've been saved, so let's just not worry about a holy life. I mean, I'm, God forgives me, right? Oh, you better do it or else. Oddly enough, none of us is is inclined toward the gospel. The gospel is not our natural inclination. Oddly enough, though, there is a yearning for the gospel in the heart of man. As Augustine said, you have made yourself for us. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. Let me say that again the proper way, the whole way. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. It's interesting, though, so many people, they know something's missing in their life, but they don't really understand the language of the gospel, so they, they talk about it in, in different ways. And we look and we say, you're so close, all you're missing is Jesus. It shouldn't surprise us, though. Again, the gospel is not our natural inclination. As the first of Martin Luther's 95 theses Tells us Jesus intended for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The Lord is always calling us and teaching us through life circumstances to trust. So both parts of the gospel, how are we saved? We acknowledge our sin or we repent of our sin. We say, Lord, I am so sorry. I'm a sinner. I I deserve judgment and condemnation. And then we turn to Jesus who died in our place as we read about in Isaiah 53. We say, but I believe that Jesus died for me. And I ask you to save me. You don't have to ask that. All you have to do is to affirm your belief. Sometimes it's helpful, though, just to say, Lord, please save me. I believe. And he always responds To that request. Even as believers. As Jim told us during the communion. During the Lord's Supper. We constantly turn away. Because the gospel is not our natural language. We we become legalistic. Or we just go crazy. And say well it's not that big a deal. That sin. That little sin. You know at least I'm saved. No. The gospel though. Calls us back to repentance and trust. It's one of the reasons that we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And it's one of the benefits of being in God's covenant family in this community. We're privileged to preach the gospel to each other every single day. Our world is a mess. Look, I I thought about, you know, addressing everything that's going on this week in our nation Um. It's a horrible, horrible thing that keeps happening. And it just seems to drive us further and further apart. It's a horrible thing that we're so fractured as a nation. And maybe we'll talk about this in the coming days. But look, our, our world is a mess. Nobody questions about that. Nobody questions that. And there is no enduring answer in either legalism or antinomianism. Our only hope is the gospel. But it is a hope that is given to God's covenant people. It's not given to the world. It's given to God's covenant people. In Isaiah, we will find God continually calling His people to repentance and trust. And don't misunderstand what I just said.